eWire is the UK's vibrant network for women in clean energy. Philippa is an infrastructure finance specialist within the Infrastructure and Projects Authority, part of the Cabinet Office. Prior to joining the UK government in 2013, Philippa was a partner at the professional services firm EY and had previously been in investment banking for many years. In the IPA, Philippa advises government departments on projects in the energy, transport, water and digital sectors. For example, she recently led the setting up of the 400 million charging infrastructure investment fund for electric vehicle charging. I'm delighted to welcome Philippa to today's EY podcast. Philippa, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm well. How are you, Rachel? I'm really good. Thank you. Really good. I wish the sun would come out, though. It's not out today. It's a bit grey out there. It is a bit grey. It is a bit grey. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks for joining us on this EY podcast. This is um, you're welcome. I'm delighted. So I've done a couple of these, so I'm not sure if I'm getting better or if I'm getting more relaxed, and I don't know if the two equate. So (laughs) (laughs) we'll see how we go. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so I really want to get to know you, kind of get under your skin a little bit in terms of what drives you and motivates you to work in the sector. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of where we're headed and hoping to inspire people to, who listen to the podcasts for women working in the sector to either take their kind of next move in their career or to kind of do something different in their current role. Um, so, Philippa, can you tell me a bit about you? Like, what's, what, does, what does your job actually mean? So setting up a fund for 400 million is a big task. You've kind of moved on a bit from that, I think, now. and. Um, yeah. Um, well, so I, I work on a whole range of different things, actually, because I joined um, the civil service in early 2013. So it's coming up to eight years after more than 20 years previously in the private sector. So I've worked on a whole range of different projects while I've been in, in um, Treasury and Cabinet Office. And uh, the Charging Infrastructure Investment Fund, we launched that uh, in the summer of 2019. Um so yes, I'm very proud to have been involved with that and to to have led that with a great team within within um, the IPA, um, and that's really that's going really well that fund. Um, but um, I'm also previous previously to that I was involved with um, funds that we set up looking at ultrafast fibre as well for for broadband, um, and I'm now working for example in carbon capture and storage, and I've also spent the last few years working in heat networks. Um, and so uh, a lot of what I do is is focusing on the whole net zero space and reducing carbon emissions. And so it's a very exciting area. So very busy. Yeah, definitely. And we've got the um, the awaiting the 10 point plan, which hopefully might be announced this week. Um, so, yeah, I imagine there's a lot of buzz within government around around the, what that might include. So it's an exciting area to be working on. Very topical, I imagine. Oh yes, it is indeed. <laughs> um, so, Philippa, you um, you're mum to two teenage girls, and yes. so yeah, that's a slight, slightly different kind of yeah, definitely a different different phase than one I'm in with a toddler at the moment. So, how do you juggle work and managing the kids? Well, um, I guess as they've got older, um, I do less and less of juggling of them. Um, so the the elder one actually, she's eighteen. She's just uh, in her first term at university. So. Uh, 
I um, largely don't have to, fingers crossed at least, um, worry about her. She's very independent, very organized. So she just gets on with stuff. So, and then my younger one is 16. She's um, just started her A-levels. So I suppose the dynamic in the family has changed a little bit over the last few months because we've gone from the four at dinner to three at dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's a lot easier now. Um, when they were younger, yeah, it required um, a fair amount of juggling, as you say. But for me, I always um, I always wanted to work. I've, I worked full time until um, uh, well, I've always worked full time. But I actually seven years ago when I when I joined civil service, I actually went from um, five working five days a week to working compressed hours to so working four days, but effectively working full time. So um, that gave me a little bit more flexibility on a Friday to actually fit more stuff into the week which was helpful yeah I've um, always found that it, quite attractive that idea yeah, of compressed yeah, hours yeah so that so that's worked very well for me for the last seven eight years I guess as well you know I I have a husband who has a very flexible role um and uh, he works from home most of the time he's an academic so that has certainly helped with juggling um the various demands so I could go on, but I'm sure you've got other things you want to ask me. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's useful. I think it's always nice to kind of get a bit of a flavour for everyone's kind of personal circumstances as well as their professional yeah. circumstances. So you were, um, yeah, partner at EY before you joined government um, was, and kind yeah, of worked your way up through the ranks there. Does that, how is that kind of difference between private sector and public sector? Prior to um, being at Ernst & Young, actually, I'd been in banking for many years. So I was in banking for 13 years before I moved over to EY in 2004 and um, there for eight years. And I suppose so, I've, you know, I've, I went through that transition from inve- investment banking environment to professional services environment, which was a little bit of a change. And then the transition from professional services through to civil service. But in reality, it hasn't been as much of a change as you might imagine, actually, because um, the people within the the team that I work in within the Infrastructure and Projects Authority, many of us are from the private sector. And in fact, I I had worked with many of them in the years that I was in banking and in professional services. So very much um, a group of people with a similar mindset and, and very market facing, if you like, rather than just focusing on internal government and policy related stuff so a, a transition that worked very well and, and in fact enabled me to work on a much broader range of things so so um a move that I was very happy with actually mm-hmm. that's good the um did you have kind of in either um, kind of being a partner at Ernst Young or being where you are now like in that kind of leadership role do you find that lonely at times is it or how do you how do you kind of juggle like your kind of support networks I guess at a more senior level and 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 kind of get that yeah that you kind of lose a bit of that banter I guess as you get more senior in an organization you'll see more as the the boss than um you have how have you managed that transition yeah I think in this in our area of the civil service in infrastructure and projects authority we work in a really flat way actually um as I was saying in in um, my particular area and team we are majority of, of us have been working for a, a quite a long time and had long private sector careers before we joined civil service. Um, and so, um, you know, we're all very experienced people and therefore work in a very collaborative fashion. So it's, it's as I said, it's a very flat structure in terms of day-to-day working environment. Um, so it probably 
maybe um, more pertinent to talk about when I was a partner at EUI, where I think when, yeah, when you, when you are a partner, it is, um, you have to work a little bit harder, I suppose, to, to keep up those really open channels um, with your team um, and to, to try and overcome some of that um, maybe sense of people thinking perhaps they can't be as open with you as, as, as maybe you'd like them to be. Mm-hmm. So for me, I, it all, it's always come down to just trying to be um, as communicative as possible. Um, and that's one of the reasons I think over the years I got into mentoring. I started mentoring when I was at Deutsche Bank in the, in the mid-90s. I started doing that. And, I, and I've always found that having that kind of mentoring and coaching type of role has meant that um, I've been able to maybe have slightly more open relationships with, with colleagues and talk about a broader range of things rather than just, you know, transactional, organisational, line management related stuff. Yeah. And how do you do? Do you find coaching benefits or kind of mentoring benefits you as well as the person you're doing it with? Yeah, it, I, I think um, I think coaching and mentoring, um, you know, the person who's actually doing the coaching and mentoring, I think it has huge, huge benefits, actually. Just personally, I, you know, I, I've, I've had some emails recently. There's one in particular I'm thinking about from from a lady that I, I had been coaching who had said how she'd had, you know, finally had the confidence to go for a particular role that she was interested in. Um, and, um, you know, saying that the coaching had been really helpful for building her confidence in order to do that. And, and, and that is a, a relatively common type of piece of feedback. And so it's really, um, it's really inspiring, actually, when, when people give you that kind of feedback. And, and particularly since often you think, well, actually, a lot of what coaching and mentoring is about is, is saying things which seem to the coach as quite common sense in a way. Um, but I guess you, you know, I spend a lot of time listening to podcasts. I do a lot of training now, actually, for coaching. It's been made easier through through lockdown to do all that stuff because, um, like in everything, there's a huge number of webinars and a lot of free webinars. So um, I've spent quite a lot of time on on this recently, and to the extent that I can share some of that uh, insight that I'm picking up with people, um, I find that really, you know, really inspiring. And in fact, this morning I was reading an article on actually it has a very physiologically beneficial effect on the coach because if you, as long as you don't, you know, you don't get so emotionally involved that it causes stress. If you, if you're coaching as a leader, it actually, in in theory at least, they've done started to do some studies, reduces your stress levels. Okay, well that's handy, isn't it? So you can so have an office be, dog, or you yeah. can start coaching. Kind of. Exactly, exactly. So to be a compassionate leader and coach compassionately it reduces your stress levels that's the theory at least yeah good and so coaching is definitely something you're very passionate about so you're now a qualified coach I am very close to um, getting my diploma Um, there are various levels of qualification that you can get in the coaching world and it is becoming you know increasingly professionalized Um, and so my the diploma that I am doing requires 100 hours of coaching plus three um, papers that I have to write so I'm very close to getting um, through all of that. Yes. Okay. And how long have you been doing that? It's quite a big undertaking, I think, isn't it? Yeah. Well, so um, I mean, I mentioned earlier I've been mentoring since the early, uh, yeah, since the mid '90s. Um, so I've been I've done that constantly. But I started coaching without going into the differences between mentoring and coaching now. But I started coaching about three years ago, and I started doing this diploma in um, yeah in 2018. So it's, you can spend up to, to three years doing it. 
Um, it's taken me a little bit longer than I had hoped because I've also done a master's uh, at the same time, um, which I finished in late summer, actually, and I did my dissertation on coaching. So I had to put the diploma in terms of the papers for the diploma slightly on pause, but I've continued doing the hours for the coaching. Okay, wow. So, busy, busy yeah. lady. So what was your master's in, Philippa? So my master's is, is in applied linguistics. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So it's part of the kind of faculty of education. Yeah. Um, okay. And keeping yeah. a full-time role going. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was saying, if you want something done, ask a busy person. Is that does everyone ask you to do stuff? <laughs> uh, do you find do you find coaching reduces your stress levels then? Is that does that I'm not you? sure. <laughs> Well, when I do know when I do the coaching, I would say it definitely reduces my stress levels, but it certainly makes my diary really quite full because, yes, I am. I am doing a full time um, kind of non coaching role. So but, uh, you know, at the end of the day as well, you make time for what you want to do as well. So um, I like to fit that in. Do you have any recommendations if anyone's interested in exploring what coaching is and how it would benefit them? Any good the podcasts you've listened to? Well, oh, my goodness. Um, I tell you a podcast that is really good, which is not it's not about coaching per se, but it's really good in terms of some of the types of topics that you talk about in coaching is Squiggly Careers. OK, interesting. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so obviously I can send you the, the link to that. But Squiggly Careers. And I've started listening to that over the last few weeks. And it's absolutely fantastic because it's some. Um, a couple of women who um, and they talk about and they bring guest speakers on as well and they're quite short they're 15 to 20 minute type podcasts and they talk about um, all kinds of different topics uh, like transitioning in your careers and and dealing with difficult people and uh, getting good habits and uh, all kinds of things that are fantastic you know common common sense daily things that you need to deal with. Great. I think I'll add that to my lockdown two list of things to yeah. <laughs> things to explore. How are you? How are you finding the second lockdown? Is it is it okay? Are you working from home? Have you stayed working from home throughout? The yeah, time? I've been working. I've been working from home since mid March. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've not I've not been into the office actually. Um, a few colleagues have been. Um, so you know the building's obviously um, open for business, but. Um, unless you know unless we need to go in obviously we're not you know we don't go in so yeah you're getting out and about to do your exercise and I go out for my daily walk yes my daily walk around the park so which has become an absolute uh part of my routine actually it's very nice and how about you do you, are you managing to get out or am I not meant to ask any questions no you can ask me questions that's fine <laughs> we're just here for a chat <laughs> um yeah I've been getting out I've been um yeah I did talk to my team actually about rescheduling their day and um making sure that we don't start because I did I tried to get a few people to do the couch to 5k with me and also some yoga the Adrian yoga on YouTube so that's mm-hmm. pretty good so I've been doing that so seven of us that have signed up to do that um oh, and then, yeah good. I have been I'm very lucky I live in a very rural area on the edge of Exmoor so um I've been out strutting around in the woods most days so pretty sensible very I, like good. The, I like the outdoors so yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so, Philip, I was going to ask you what it's. So, have you been? I'm guessing. Well, I know, I know you have because you've told me previously. But you've been in a lot of meetings um, where you're the only woman. Does that kind of change how you behave or how you? Yeah, how you find that? Kind of how is that? Um, yeah, interesting question. I would say these days, actually, it's really, really unusual. Um, 
yeah, it's, you know, I was frequently, it's 50-50 actually, or, or, you know, give or take in terms of meetings these days or virtual meetings these days. But certainly um, in my previous roles, um, I would occasionally have meetings where there'd be very large meetings and uh, I was the only one, uh, only female in the room. And um, yeah, that's, it's, that's quite tricky, actually. It, it, it feels a bit weird. Um, or has done once or twice. I've been relatively fortunate because I have heard stories, um, you know, female um, colleagues and friends in the industry uh, who have gone into meetings and assumptions have been made about what their role is, um, which have been absolutely, you know, totally 180 degrees wrong type of thing. And uh, so, so they they have fed back these stories to me, which you know, in hindsight, they kind of tell them with humour and find them funny. But actually, at the time, I'm I'm sure were absolutely galling for them. Um, so I think I I have been relatively lucky um, because even uh, in my first you know job back in the early nineties, because um, I joined investment banking then, and it was a fifty fifty male female intake um, into the bank that I joined. Yeah, and again, probably even higher up in the bank, there was a reasonable ratio. The other thing, just to mention, I did engineering, you see, and when I did engineering, we were 10% women. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose, I'm not being terribly eloquent on this, but I I suppose the issue is that since I left my all-girls school mm-hmm. <laughs> at 18, I have gone into an environment where there have been a lot of men relative mm-hmm. to women, and I just kind of got used to it. Um, and most of the time, I didn't really notice it, other than those really extreme situations where there'd be literally 25 men and, and, and me. And that's when I thought that's really quite weird. And you feel a little bit self-conscious, actually, about giving an opinion. Um, and there was one occasion when I almost felt that they kind of looked at me and then moved on. And I, I think that is an experience that some so, you know, a number of people have had. Yeah, yeah. Do you think so? Do you think things are getting better in that respect? Do you think that it's the kind of dial is changing in terms of the number of women in boardrooms and senior management meetings around the table? Uh, I think it is certainly improving. Um, uh, maybe uh, not as quickly as we would all like. I think uh, certainly organisations, all the organisations I've either worked in or, or work with, have been striving hard to to try and improve. Um, diversity generally mm-hmm. and diversity of thought generally um uh, and obviously that diversity takes a number of different forms and and that's all you know absolutely essential so so yes it is getting better but there are still challenges you know you do still see uh, see and hear stories and think oh, you know how can that still be happening mm. yeah um, definitely and what yeah. is it to having two daughters that makes you passionate about seeing more women in the sector is it that you've experienced the kind of benefits of diversity of thought like what's your real driver for for wanting to see this change because you've been a passionate kind of yeah advocate for ey for a number of years mm. um so yeah supported women in our round table women in evs we call it a round table session that we've had a lot yeah i well i mean i i just i i think it's essential that you've got you you have diversity of thought at all levels of an organization um you know so that we all so that we do um get the best out- outcomes and that you know we achieve what we need to achieve as a society and in business and all of that you know one of the things that i found through the coaching and the mentoring as well is that uh, I've met many women and men, to be fair, but many women 
who are, for whatever reason, um, and we can have a whole discussion on this, are, are rather lacking in confidence, actually. Mm-hmm. And um, so one of the things that I, I feel that I can help um, some women with through the coaching and, and mentoring is to try and increase their confidence. And, um, um, for example, explain how, you know, when when people go into interviews um, that everyone will be feeling nervous um and that and there's again books have been written on this and literature on this that um and again this is huge huge generalization but women may feel that they should only really apply for a job if they know that they've got 80 or 90 percent of what's being asked for and 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 many men may think well if i've got 30 or 40 percent of what's on the job specification or i'll go for it um, and so um, by explaining some of those kind of thought processes to to um, young women and, and, and women further up in their career as well, that hopefully that, that kind of realisation, if they haven't realised that, might help them to increase their confidence to actually go for things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that, yeah, that's, that's, that's my um, angle. I'm not sure that having two daughters would have made any difference, actually. You're not, you know, not having had two daughters would make any difference to my approach, actually, there. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's nice. It's nice. Well, it's nice for them to be able to operate in a world that we have improved while we've been in it. But I think that, um, yeah, well, I think as a child, I was always yeah. told I could do anything. And, um, and it isn't. I've uncovered a lot of stories, I think, through EY and confidence and, I guess, anecdotes and reasons behind why people feel that women aren't progressing as well as as well as men and confidence is a massive thing it links back to speaking as well and a lot of women won't put themselves forward for speaking opportunities and I think that was one of my drivers for wanting to set up EYR in the beginning was getting bored of the kind of men in grey suits and the sea looking out at the sea of grey suits yeah. at sessions um so I think you're quite an active speaker um you've yeah. done a session for us um for the women in EBV group on kind of speaking opportunities what's your kind of yeah that's good at raising your profile but what's your kind of top tips for speaking and well um what I would say is that when asked to speak um to do one's utmost actually to to accept um that offer uh because again I have observed over the years that um people who are organizing conferences even with the best will in the world uh, and you know e- these days people are really really trying to get a diverse um panel together for for conferences um often it it's, it can be a challenge actually to get um female uh, speakers on the panel uh, even when they they're asked and so um again i think that comes back to or can come back to the confidence point um, so one of the things that I would say to my younger self is always to accept the offer to speak because I didn't always offer uh, accept an offer to speak. You know, it took me a while to kind of, you know, summon up the courage to do it. Um, and the reality is the more you do it, the easier it gets. Um, so it's, it's about just almost accepting it and then working out afterwards how you're going to do it um and uh and again just having the confidence you know as long as you prepare um i think um uh many people feel more comfortable if they're prepared um and preparation is key 
-hmm. And so if you if you're prepared um, and you can feel confident, then there's no reason why you shouldn't do a good job and accept uh, that it's completely normal that people are nervous when they're doing it. And it's it's good to be nervous because you you are likely to uh, do a better job because you will, uh, you know, you'll have all that adrenaline flowing through you. Yeah, nerves do make you slightly more on your A-game, don't they, if they're the right kind of nerves, I think. Exactly, exactly. Um, Philip, is there moments in your career where you face kind of significant challenges or you've put yourself in positions that feel quite uncomfortable, like that 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 you're happy to talk about? I can't think of anything particular that I um, want to highlight, but I think it is about... um, constantly challenging yourself um a little bit you know so you make progress through taking small steps um and you know sometimes okay so it's bigger steps and you throw yourself in at the deep end but I think just by every day pushing yourself slightly putting yourself outside your comfort zone just a little bit and and then accumulatively that um will pay off so you know in terms of challenges yeah I mean I've you know I've had to lead pitches on difficult things and um and I remember when I was doing my partnership for Ernst and Young you know that was that was a very challenging couple of days yeah it was very very you know very difficult um so I've done lots of things like that through my career mm-hmm. but my mantra is you know each day try and do something that just makes you feel a little bit awkward you know mm-hmm. a little bit bit nervous yeah it definitely um, makes you grow doesn't it well if, yeah I find yeah. if I'm out of my comfort zone a bit that's the times yeah. when I grow yeah. the most I think yeah because if, if you're too far out of it then you you get into the stress situation where actually you can't really perform at your best mm-hmm. if you're too far out of, of that yeah. um yeah so okay cool that's interesting um so is there um yeah is there anything you'd like to see across the sector like um yeah, the kind of increased diversity would, I guess, the kind of view from government that kind of running big funds, um, where you know, I guess, with the SIF fund, you want to see that kind of transformational change in the EV sector. Is there, you know, what would you like to see, like your role, like having an impact across the sector? Doing, are you driven by that? Well, I think that um, you know, in in government, and and the funds are a good example where we're trying to put our money to work in the most effective way so so with the funds whether it was the digital funds or the charging fund we were trying to be catalytic um, such that in a sector where um, okay so there was some commercial financing about so investors already starting to go into the sector but not yet at that fully fledged um, all the infrastructure investors are in there so it's kind of that um, Goldilocks space, if you like, where our money can work really well and really effectively to actually bring more private sector money in. So, if you take that type of principle um, in terms of the types of things that that I am working on within heat networks and carbon capture and all this kind of stuff, and also when I did Thames Tideway Tunnel several years ago, again, it's about where, as government, can we um, either spend our money or come up with some kind of structure of support which is most effective at bringing the private sector in 
in terms of then achieving the types of um, uh, transformation that we're trying to achieve within net zero, for example. Um, and, and I think that principle um, is really important that as many people in, in government kind of really get that kind of concept. Why give a grant if you can actually invest commercially as we've done on the funds? That's, a, yeah. that's you know, that's a, that's a more powerful instrument for getting a sustainable, a sustainable type of market in a sector that's important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it's, yeah, it is exciting times, I think. And yeah, region we're very much driven by that transformational change. So it's quite, um, it's quite motivating at times when you can kind of see that in action. And I think the, your, the kind of finance view to that is a very different angle, um, which has huge amounts of impact. So Philippa, also you're sitting on some boards as a non-exec. Um, yes. And how do you find that kind of as part of your kind of development path, I guess? So it's part of the kind of driver for EY to kind of get springboard women from middle management to senior management and senior management to board level. So, you know, what does it really mean to be on a board and, and how have you found that kind of benefited your career? Well, it's still quite early days for me in terms of being on board. So um, obviously, as well as Regen, um, I'm on the um, board for Project Finance Association or IPFA. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a membership organisation, and you know the reason uh, I I joined IPFA um, was because I felt again very strongly about uh, encouraging um, or helping um, the infrastructure space generally, and and con- contributing to an organisation that um, does a lot uh, in in uh, for webinars and and. Um, events etc and similar to the type of stuff that that regen does so you know it's very early days for me because i i joined it for in in february and you guys in september so it's only been this year that i've done non-execs yeah um and and so going forward you know that's something that i would like to do more of um as my diary permits at the moment i don't think i have really uh, very much capacity for any extra stuff, particularly <laughs> at the moment. Um, but it, you know, it exposes you to um, a whole range of different people and people who are running different kinds of businesses. So uh, yeah, it's a great opportunity for um, further growth as an individual in terms of developing um, your exposure to to other other things. And and thinking about things in a slightly different way, actually, um, in terms of you know aspects of governance, perhaps, or or finances of of a business um, that you don't necessarily need to think about day to day kind of uh, exec role. In my case, yeah, so, I guess it's a very from taking yeah. Regen as an example, it's a very different organisation, and our structure is incredibly different compared to that of government or that you know of exactly um, large scale private sector like Ernst and Young or banking um so i guess yeah. that kind of breadth of experience and the breadth of people that are working in those spaces is is very different great how did you get onto them your first board was that an application process or uh yes basically yeah yeah okay. yeah, so, yeah yeah just keeping an eye out to for application yeah. opportunities and yeah. kind of going for it putting it i think just going through the process even if you're not successful the first time around is it's a great thing to go through um Yes, but also I think that an important point to highlight there is that um, the network, one's network is very important. Um, 
and so you know in 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 both cases in terms of both the boards that I'm on um I knew a number of the people and I think that that is it's a, a demonstration of the fact that building up a network over the course of your career is very valuable in many many different ways mm-hmm. um and I have made a a big effort to do that actually over the years so, so right from the very start um i used to go to networking events within you know infrastructure and financial services and um and then a member of various women's um networks and you know i've done a whole range of different things and um, i've met some fantastic people and you know i've got friends all over the place and 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 you just you you may not see someone for ages actually um you may have, I may have worked with someone 10 years ago and then I come across them again or they 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 contact me through linkedin and and you kind of reestablish that relationship that you had a long time ago and and I think those kind of things are really important and they just make your just day-to-day life richer and they can lead to interesting opportunities um as well yeah i think that's i'm missing that most i think out of um yeah from working at home from March to now is not necessarily missing the office environment but I'm really missing those kind of big networking events where you meet people yeah. you don't know who you're going to meet but you, you walk into a room a sea of 300 people and go around yeah. and chat to people and meet people over coffee and you just get yeah at the end of the day I always come around like come back like buzzing with that kind of enthusiasm that you're part of something bigger like there's a whole there's a whole load of other people out there that really care about the same stuff that you do and yeah I find that hugely motivating and I wonder how many of us will lose our ability to, if you like, work a room um, because we just haven't done it. We haven't needed to do it for, for so many months. Do you know what I, I mean? There'll still people. be wine, won't oh. there, Philippa? <laughs> <laughs> that will help us. <laughs> yes, that's true. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Is there anything else that you kind of wish I'd asked you that I'd not asked you that you think is would be useful to to talk through? No, I no, I think um, I think you probably covered a lot there, actually. Well, well, thank you. Thanks very much. All right, thank you. 